0: Chapter number three. Daniel chapter number three. And we're going to continue tonight another message in uh, what we might call our series on growing in the gap. And I'm not sure how long the Lord would have us to go with this. We're just going to preach uh, on this topic until the Lord leads us to do different. And I know of no other way than just to ask him what he wants and preach what he says the way that he says until he says, don't do it anymore. And so we're going to continue that series. And even though we appear to be at the end of this thing... And appear to be kind of getting toward the light at the end of the tunnel I believe there's still plenty of growing we can do during these circumstances And so Daniel chapter number 3 We have talked about the three Hebrew boys many times throughout this series And even in some of our morning devotions Uh, And I believe tonight we're going to just kind of hit them head on And learn some things from them that I believe we must take out of this difficult time we've been going through what a shame it would be to go through these extraordinary times and not use them as an extraordinary opportunity for growth. And so I hope you have grown a little bit or a lot through this. And tonight we're going to see two or three things that every one of us could have learned through this and I believe should have learned through this as we follow the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So for the sake of time, you know the back story. Nebuchadnezzar has built his statue and the commandment, the decree has gone out that all should fall down And worship him, uh, the statue. Uh, And the Bible tells us that the three Hebrew boys were faithful to God uh, and would not do that. So Nebuchadnezzar calls them in on the carpet. Verse number 13 of chapter 3. The Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, I love what he does in verse number 15. Verse number 15, he looks at it almost as a clerical error. Surely you just misunderstood what was going on. So watch what he says in verse 15. Now, if you be ready, at, the t- at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of, the- of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Remember the question at the end of verse number 15. It'll pop back up here in just a little while. Verse 16, let's continue reading. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Verse 18 will be part of our key text tonight. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We know the rest of the story. Nebuchadnezzar's pretty aggravated about this and commands them to heat the fire up even hotter and they throw them in. And I want you to pick up, if you would, in verse number 24. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors... Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. I don't know they would have said anything different. I'd been afraid to cross him. So I'm just going to agree with him if I would have been the guys. Verse 25, he answered and says, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt in the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now let's stop our reading there and let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you for the wonderful account. Lord, this is not just a story. Uh, but it's an account, and I'm thankful that it's a true account of who you are and what you do on behalf of your people. I'm thankful for the example of uh, these three young men, Lord, who are human just like us, and yet they took a courageous stand for their faith. Help us do that, and help us be used of you as you used them as well. Bless the service. Help us open our heart even now to receive your word, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned a moment ago, this series has all uh, been about the burden the Lord put on my heart that through these extraordinary times that we've been living for the last three months, and it's still hard in a lot of ways to realize it's been three months. It's gone by quick in some ways and not so quick in other ways, but in these extraordinary times that we've been living, what an extraordinary opportunity we've had to grow Uh, I mean, adversity will oftentimes uh, show us ourself and reveal ourself uh, to us, and we're able to see who we are, who we're not, and make improvements. And boy, have we gone through adversity. But my prayer has been that we wouldn't miss this opportunity to grow uh, and let this opportunity of the extraordinary circumstances pass us by without learning some valuable lessons and growing in ways that otherwise we may not have the opportunity to. Uh, The devil's very, very smart in a lot of ways and the devil's very good at the old shell game and he will distract us why one thing's going on and he's moving the little ball, the marble underneath the shell somewhere else and we will miss out and if we're not careful, we'll get distracted by the problems we've been going through and we'll miss out on the purpose of what God wanted to do through this. This has not been a time to just pause our walk with God and put it on spiritual cruise control until we get back into church. There is a great opportunity To grow during this time Unlike any I've ever had in my life And I hope we haven't missed that opportunity Now the three Hebrew boys are going to show us Three very simple lessons That we could have and should have learned As we've gone through this And it really revolves around our witness uh, what our witness could have become and I believe still could become if we will not exit this time of difficulty without learning them. And so tonight we're going to look at our witness and as we have all throughout this series we're going to have three major points. We're going to look at the outcome first of what God was desiring to do. We're going to see the obstacle which is the difficulty we must overcome in order to get to the outcome and then we're going to see the obedience and that's the efforts that we must make in order to reach the outcome. So So let's follow these three Hebrew boys tonight and let's learn something about our witness that we can grow through as we experience this difficult time together. So look down to verse number 25. This is the end of the story or mainly the end of the story, and that's where we'll find the outcome. The Bible says that after he threw them in the fire, he looks in the fire and he starts doing a head count. One, two, three, and there should have been three, but there were four. Verse 25, he says, lo, I see four men, loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form, watch closely, of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, verse 25, we see really the outcome of the story, and we see what God was planning on all along. Isn't it a blessing to know that as we go through difficult times and we can't quite see what God is doing, that God has a grand design. If we'll just trust him, trust his word, and trust his will, we will find our way to God's desired outcome in spite of our circumstances. So what was God's desired outcome? I'm going to make it very simple for you tonight. Notice the end of verse number 25, the Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar looked down in the fire, he saw a fourth man, and that fourth man, the Bible says, was like the Son of God. So number one tonight, I want you to notice the outcome, and the outcome is simply this. The outcome is Christ. When he looked down into the fire at what the three Hebrew boys had gone through, and he looked down in the fire, he saw Christ was revealed in the midst of their adversity. I want you to know what the end of our life and the will of God for our life is that we we get saved and we start to become more like Christ, and when we reach the end of our life that we have a witness and a testimony of our life that ultimately reveals Christ. I want you to think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If they had gone kicking and screaming and Nebuchadnezzar had to drag them and they were kind of mealy-mouthed about their witness, how much that would have taken away from the end result of what God desired. And yet they stood for their faith. They were courageous with their faith. I even see humility even though they were courageous. You can be both courageous and humble at the same time. And yet at the end of their story, we see Christ being revealed. Can I tell you what the ultimate outcome for the life of every child of God is? That after we get saved, we begin making our way to fulfill the will of God for our life. And the will of God for our life is that each and every day we take, uh, we live, and every step that we take, we become more like Christ. And that our actions and our testimony in the midst of our adversity, in times of blessings, in times of want, that we grow slowly to become more like Christ. That's the outcome. That people could see Christ revealed in our life. And through what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through. At the end of their story, after they had endured all that they endured, Christ was revealed in their story. I want to tell you, as I studied this out, I thought to myself, boy, that's my goal right there. You know, a lot of times we have goals that are really about us and things that I want in this life, and I'd like to have this before I die, and I'd like to be this or go there or be known for that. In the end, could I just tell you what my heart's desire is at the end of my life, at the end of my story, I want Christ to be revealed in my story. He was revealed in the fiery furnace because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, rather than grieve through their adversity, they grew through their adversity. And oh, how Christ became the centerpiece of their outcome. Now, folks, if we could just get this tonight, I believe we would see a lot more people come to know Christ. We'd see a lot more people want to come and be a part of this church if they just saw Christ revealed through our story. Here's what happens. Oftentimes we get caught up in the details and the disagreements of the do's and the don'ts of Christianity. We start nitpicking at it and we start, you know, looking up the Greek and we're going to split those words and it really doesn't mean this and it really doesn't mean that. And really what we're doing is trying to excuse why we don't want to do it. A lot of times, if we'll just be honest, I'm guilty of it. Maybe you're not, but I'll be honest. I'm guilty of it. All we're trying to do is figure out a way not to do it. I don't want to do that. And I do want to do this, but the Bible says I can. And we start splitting all of those hairs. But you know what the truth is? The the, the do's and the don'ts within the Word of God are really not about crimping your style or the God wanting to be an evil taskmaster, not letting you have any fun. No, the do's and don'ts contained within the Word of God are ultimately there to help conform us to the image of Christ that our life, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would ultimately reveal Christ. That's what the Word of God is all about. I do fear this for too long. And I, I believe I can state this as a fact, and I'll give maybe I can say his opinion, but I believe it's a fact. For too long the church did a lot of the right things for the wrong reasons. We did these things and those things because that's what the preacher demanded, and that's what the preacher commanded, and we did this because that's what dad told us we had to do, and we did this because that's what the church down the road was doing, and we mimicked all of these people, and we were doing some right things, but we were doing them for the wrong reasons. Uh, Or here in the South, as we might say, we're doing it because that's what we've always done. When the truth about the Word of God, look, when we find in the Word of God where God shows us how He desires we live, He's showing us that because the ultimate outcome is that our life would be a witness that reveals Christ. That was His desire for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and oh, how they did Now, folks, let's not get too caught up in trying to figure out why we can get away with sin and why we are living under the grace and not under the law and we're able to do things that we know the Bible teaches we shouldn't do because ultimately it's not about us. It's ultimately that our life and at the end of our story, what happens? I love love the way Nebuchadnezzar puts this. Look at verse 25. And he answered and said, watch this, Lo, I see. Lo, I see. See, Do you know what God's desire to do with my life and to do with your life? you know what God's desire is? That when through your life, through being obedient to the word and the will of God, that your life and your story ultimately reveals Christ where your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, and our nation looks upon the people of God and they say, Lo, I see. I get it. Too many of us waste our breath and we waste our time trying to talk people into heaven and talking is part of it. But you'd be amazed at how much people can learn about Christ if you just lived according to his word. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They just did what God said. They were faithful to it. uh, And they stood by it. And then lo and behold, we see Christ revealed in verse number 25. 2 Peter 1, I, I read some of that Sunday morning, and, you know, when you're preaching out there and it's 90 degrees, it's really hard to get into a message. I know you're hot and I'm hot, and so we kind of skipped over some of this, but 2 Peter chapter number 1, I want to read a few things for you that you've already, you already know, but listen close. 2 Peter 1, when the Bible tells us to add to our faith, the Bible says, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness charity, it gives us this grocery list. We've looked at it so many times, but here's what I want you to see. When you see those characteristics that are there, it's not God trying to ruin your life, saying, Man, God wants me to have patience, and I'm just not a patient person. That's not who I am, and temperance. That's just so difficult. This is not a list of God trying to make your life miserable. It's a lot of times like kids. You know, if you're a parent, uh, you know the feeling that sometimes you feel like your child thinks that you were just there to make their life miserable. We could all raise our hand and agree with that, I think, tonight. I think as a kid, I probably thought that at some point, that evidently God gave me these two people to keep me from having any fun and to make my life miserable. Uh, We all know that feeling. We look at our kids sometimes, and we honestly think that's what they're thinking, now, we know better. That's not what we're thinking. We love our children. We want our children to enjoy all the benefits and blessings that God has to provide. And so that's why we're telling them these things. Well, listen, God's our Heavenly Father. And he's giving us a grocery list in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, why is he giving us this list? Because these are the character traits that are going to make us more like Christ. Why? Because his desire is that our outcome reveal Christ. That we have a witness that is just like Christ. And when you read these verses, verse 5, or 6, verse 7, and 1 Peter 1, these are character traits of Christ. So as you read these, faith, virtue, knowledge, this afternoon as I read these, I was thinking, be like Christ, be like Christ, be patient like Christ, be temperate like Christ, be godly like Christ, have brotherly kindness like Christ. You see, that's the whole point. God's not trying to make our life miserable. God wants our life at the end of our story to reveal Christ. And the only way we'll reveal Christ is by being obedient to the will and the very word of God. 1 John 2 6, I won't take the time to turn there. Let's look close to what the Bible says. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So the Bible says, he that saith, if we profess Christ and we say, I am hidden and my life is hidden with Christ, my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. He that saith, he abideth in him. The Bible says we should walk as he walked. That means when I get saved, and boy, I'm thinking of a lot of people right now have led to Christ and they were a little bit rough around the edges. Everybody was rough around the edges a little bit, but some folks to a greater extent than others. I remember some of these people, and I'm thinking, boy, uh, Christ is going this way, and they've been going this way. It's going to take an act of God to get them dialed over here. Well, that's exactly what happened. It was an act of God. I'm thinking of some folks right now, both the churches I've pastored, who you never thought those people would ever be a witness. But I you mean, tell you how they became a witness. They slowly started adopting the character traits of Christ and becoming more like Christ. And Christ was revealed in their walk. Why should we be kind? Because Christ was kind. Why should we be compassionate? Because Christ was compassionate. Why should we tell the truth? Because Christ told the truth. Why should we be holy? Listen, not because the preacher said, be holy. By the way, if you only do it because the preacher said so, it's in vain. There's no trophy or reward for that. God's not going to be able to use that. No, we'd be holy because Christ was holy, and at the end of my life, I want my life to reveal Christ, and there's no way my life will reveal Christ without holiness. Not going to happen. When the Bible tells us to be separate, that's not just keeping us from fun. That's to keep us becoming more like Christ. We look all throughout Scripture, faithfulness, obedience. What is God doing? God's trying to conform us to the image of Christ. And every step that we take after we get saved is a journey of becoming more like Christ. I think about me and my dad uh, early on in my childhood. I don't know if my dad and I still look alike. Do we still look alike? Kind of, sort of. My dad and I won a father and son look-alike contest uh, at the Walmart in Vicksburg. And uh, he gave me his part of the winnings. I won $15. He won $15. And I went and bought some action figures. They were called Silver Hawks. Do you remember those? Silverhawks. Maybe I was alone in that, but uh, I liked them, and my dad and I won because we looked alike. And as I get older and I look in the mirror, I'm realizing I'm becoming more like my dad. And before long, it's just going to be clear right up through here. My wife says she's going to love me regardless, but as I get older, I'm becoming more and more like my dad. I don't like as much sugar in my coffee. I used to think, how do you drink that without any sugar in it? Now, creamer is the line. If I get to the place where I don't put creamer in my coffee, please have an intervention in my life. Because I just don't see how you can drink that without creamer. But here's what I want you to understand. The older I get, the more I begin to realize I'm becoming more like my dad in several, several ways. Now, he doesn't like sushi, so I hope I never get to that place either. But as a child of God, the desired outcome for our life is verse 25 of Daniel 3. That at the end of our story, our life reveals Christ. Through The world looking upon our life says, lo, I see." Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand, their courage, their faithfulness, slowly led them to reveal Christ in their life. Philippians 1.20, listen closely. The Bible says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. That in nothing. Paul says, I'm not going to be ashamed of anything. Why would he be ashamed of anything? Well, because coming more like Christ is difficult and unpopular. But notice what he says, but that, Philippians 1.20, with all boldness... "...as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death." The Apostle Paul says it doesn't matter if if God wants to do it through my life or even through my death, Christ is going to be magnified. What is Paul saying? Paul says, I am here, I live, I exist, I breathe to reveal Christ. And I want to reveal Christ through my life and even through my death. And I want you to know, the Apostle Paul reached the outcome. Christ was revealed in his testimony. That's why Paul says, for me to live is what? Christ... Paul says, that's why I live, that's why I breathe, that's why I'm here. I'm not here for anything of Paul. I am here to live. For me to live is Christ. Because Paul's desire was that everybody looked at him and heard him speak. Watch what he did. Watch how he endured. Watch his faithfulness. Watch his obedience. Paul wanted them to think of Jesus. And oh, how we could change this world if we just were willing to look and to focus upon the outcome. That our life and our story be, verse 25, where Christ is revealed. But now we're going to wonder, that's an awesome place to be, but how do we get there? I mean, it's wonderful to grow to a place where you're like, you know, I want my life to reveal Christ, I want my death to reveal Christ, and I want everything in between to reveal Christ. So how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we reach that outcome? I think that's something we should all want, but there's an obstacle Remember, we have an outcome, but there's an obstacle. What is the obstacle? Look down, if you would, to verse 18. The king gives them a second chance. and tells them that they'll just fall down and worship. They'll just comply. You know, that's what the world always wants. They just want us to comply. And they'll be so nice to us if we do. Verse 18, but if not, notice what they're saying. They said in verse 17, our God can deliver us. Verse 18, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, We will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. What are they saying? They're saying we're not going to comply. We refuse to comply with what you have to say. And I want to show you why this is such an obstacle to us. It's tough when you get to this place, but it's a wonderful place to get to, where you've made up your mind that you're going to trust God all the rest of the way. That Regardless of your circumstances, I'm going to trust God As I walk the road of the will of God for my life, I've got my eyes set on the outcome of revealing Christ in my life and in my death, and I'm not going to be deterred. I'm going to accept whatever comes our way. That's what they're saying. No matter what, whether God delivers us or God doesn't deliver us, notice what they say in verse 18, but if not, be it known. We want you to know that we're going to walk this road no matter what. So the obstacle tonight, number two, the obstacle is contentment. The obstacle is contentment. Now, I'm sure some of you might be scratching your head wondering, how do you get contentment out of that? Well, I believe it comes from a common misunderstanding that we have about what contentment is. A lot of us believe contentment is when I have all that I want or I'm satisfied with my situation. There's often times I sit on the couch and my wife will bring me a slice of blueberry cheesecake or strawberry cheesecake. Boy, we had some good, uh, good cheesecake over. Uh, man, I'm thinking, I'm just distracted, Brother Michael, already. He just got distracted thinking about there's a slice left in the refrigerator, isn't it? Yeah, there is right now. I'm going to have to beat her to the refrigerator to get to it uh, tonight. But I sit there on the couch and she'll bring me some coffee. Boy, last night I was sitting in bed studying, getting ready for this morning's devotion. And my wife, or my little girl, brought me a cup of coffee. <laughs> It was just good sitting there. I'm thinking, this is the life. This is the life. Just sit there in my bed with my laptop on my lap, studying for the devotion. My daughter brings me some coffee. It was sweetened and creamed just right. I'm thinking, you know what? I am content. This is great. I even looked online about buying a hammock. I think if I had a hammock, then I could certainly be content. I tell you, that's not contentment. Contentment is not when you get to the place where you have all that you want or you're satisfied with the direction that you're going. Contentment, listen close, is being sufficient to one's lot. Being sufficient or satisfied with one's lot. Now let me explain the difference. The key is in the word lot. It's short for allotment. And allotment is something that you're divvied out or something that you are given. And here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying. They're saying, if this is our lot... If this is what God has passed out to us, if this is our allotment that we die for the cause of Christ, then they says, be it known. We're willing to do that. We're content with what God has allotted us. That's what contentment is. Contentment is not liking just what you have. It's liking what God desires for you, whether you like it or not. That's what contentment is. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're content. They says, but if not, be it known, O king, We will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Contentment is being satisfied with the will of God for your life. Whether that be a fiery furnace or a lion's den, I'm content. Whether that be a difficult time, a hospital stay, the death of a loved one, a cancer diagnosis, if that is the will of God for your life, we get to the place of contentment. And we must be content in order to reach the outcome of revealing Christ. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, look, we're good. Now, that doesn't mean they were excited about it. It doesn't mean you jump up and down when you get the cancer diagnosis or the loved one passes away. But you're content knowing it's the will of God. I don't know how many times my mother's been in the hospital. I know oh, how we panic and worry and uh, start jumping through hoops on how we can get mom the care she needs and do whatever it takes to keep mom. She's kind of... Uh, uh, you know, she's mom. You know what moms are and what moms do, and mom figures that God's bring, God brings in our life. And I remember several times in the hospital with my mom. I go over there to the bed, and we're talking to her. She's just a smile, and she always keeps a stack of tracks right there on the little table that they wheel over your bed. And uh, if all of the nurses on her floor aren't saved by the time she gets out of there, something's probably bad wrong because she, just, she hits them all up uh, trying to use that as an opportunity for the Lord. So she's sitting there in the hospital bed. I said, man, I hate this, mom. I hate to see you like this, and nobody likes that, especially when you can't do anything about it. And she says, look, I'm saved. I'm in the will of God. God knew this was coming. This is part of his plan. You're sitting there with needles in your arms and feeding tubes in her neck, and she's okay. She doesn't like it, but she's okay. You know what that is? That's contentment. I accept my lot. What my lot is, this is what God has allotted for us, and I must be content with my lot if I'm going to reach the outcome of a life that reveals Christ. And we see that in verse 18. They says, "But if not, be it known unto the o king, we will not serve. We're not going. Listen, we're not going to to compromise. Why? Because we've got a goal we're working toward, and that goal is to reveal Christ." This is the story of the song, It Is Well. We know it well. I'm not going to repeat the whole thing tonight. You know the story, but read the verses of It Is Well with my soul. What does it say? Whatever my lot. Whatever my lot. God, if you want me to serve here, you want me to serve there. God, if you want me to go here, go there. God, if I have to endure this, God, I accept my lot. That's contentment. Here's what happens. We come along the will of God. We're going toward the outcome of a life and a story that's going to reveal Christ. We come to a difficult place. And I don't like difficulty, I really don't. I don't like difficulty, I don't like adversity, I don't like grief, and I don't like pain. And we're like, boy, I don't want to go there. And so here's what we do, we divert and we go away. See, now we're going away from the outcome, the finished life that reveals Christ. We are diverting away from that. The only way you're going to reach the outcome is to accept that. Accept that. I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. I don't want that. I don't know how many times I've been in hospital rooms when doctors give the diagnosis to family members and they know this is not going to end the way you would like it to. And family members have a tough time accepting that. I would as well. And there are times we're going to have to accept difficult things in our life to maintain the course that's going to reach the outcome of a life that reveals Christ. That's going to involve contentment. To get to the place where we say it is well with my soul. This is why Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 11, not that I speak in respect of one, for I've learned. (laughs) I love that. Paul says, I learned this. You know, sometimes we think guys like this were just born super Christians. How did Paul get to the place where he was content with all the shipwrecks and things we read about Sunday night? How did he get there? He says, I learned it. I told our people years ago, the word learned means lessons earned. You take the word lessons, and you combine it with the word earned, and you have the word learned. That's what learned means. You're earning those lessons. And Paul learned, what did he learn? Philippians 4.11, that when whatsoever state I am, there to be content. There's contentment right there. Whatsoever state I am. He's speaking of the will of God for his life, and oh, how the apostle Paul went through it. I mean, shipwrecks and beatings and hungries and perils of everything on the planet, and he stayed the course. Why? Because of contentment, he says, hey, I've got to accept the difficult things on the road of the will of God for my life because it's my desire to reach the end and have a story where Christ is revealed in my life. So he was content with it. I accept that. Accept the difficulty and the adversity. Oftentimes we put contingencies on our contentment. As a matter of fact, I believe we have a cheap contentment nowadays. Can I just be honest with you? I believe we have a cheap contentment, and there's really more about contingent than it is about being contentment, about contentment. We have contingent. I'll be content as long as it's something I like. That's not contentment. That's a cheap contentment. It reminds me of something I told my wife <clears throat> years ago. I think I've told you this before. Right after we got married, what, three weeks Katrina hit? Was it three weeks? Katrina hit, you know, and uh, we had no power for three weeks for the Michael. I mean, no power. Uh, we're having to wash clothes in a, in, a, in, a, in a tub outside. I mean, you're talking about romantic. That was just a romantic honeymoon time for us. I mean, washing clothes outside, having to sleep. Didn't we sleep in the food bank? We slept in the food bank of our church. I mean, it was just rough. It was just rough. Not what I intended. And I told my wife all throughout the three weeks, we were without power. As soon as things slow down, we're going to get back to normal. All right, and when all this is over, we're gonna get about life and you know, start living that happily ever after. When things get better, the power comes on. And I had all of these contingencies on when we could be content. And boy, just like the Holy Spirit ever hit you in the head with a frying pan. Hits me sometimes. Do you know what I, I should be content with where I'm at, with what I have, within the will of God. Because when I ask you this? I am sure this has crossed all of our minds. When we get back in church, I'm going to be the most faithful person. Can I ask you a question? What if we don't? What if we don't? Now, Lord willing, it looks like we're going to be here. But you see, we've put a contingency on our contentment. Well, you know what, man? When we get back in that building and I'm just going to start reading my Bible, what if if we don't? We get back to the place where everything dies down and calms down and we don't have to wear masks and all that. Then I'm going to be the most faithful. What if we don't? Notice what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying in verse number 18. But if not, they're saying in verse number 17, we hope everything settles down and all of this works out the way we want it to work out. But understand this, verse 18, if not, we want you to know something. We're going to keep our course. What if we never get back to a place where this building's full again? I'm not trying, look, you know me, I'm not the pessimist. I'm not the realist either, all right? I'm the optimist. I'm thinking of my wife. If you saw this morning, she is, she is snarling her nose at me right now. You can't see it, but she is. She's the realist, and I'm the optimist. But look, what if we don't? What if we never get back to the capacity that we were? What happens if we come back Sunday morning, and there's only 50 people here? Is that going to affect what you do? You know, you ought to have a testimony like Shadrach, 2nd, Abednego, verse 18. But if not... You know, I can't wait till we get back and the church is full and the choir is full and I'm just going to sing. And some of you are probably even thinking, Lord, if you just let us get back there, I'll, I'll even go to the altar. But what if not? What if things don't get back to the way we'd like them to be? What if things don't slow down? What if things don't get better? You better be content that you're going to serve God, be faithful to God. Why? Because you desire to reach the outcome of a life that reveals Christ. Therefore, you're going to be content and accept what your lot is. Why? Because God's the one doing the allotting. If I'm saved and I'm in the will of God and I'm walking the road, the will, and the word of God for my life and something comes along my way that's uncomfortable, I must accept that as much as I don't want to accept it. Why? Because if I don't accept that, I've got to get out of the will of God and I'm no longer on my way to having an outcome that reveals Christ. So I've got to accept it. Look, i There's never a day goes by hardly. You don't talk to somebody who's going through something. I understand we all go through stuff. I get that. I understand that. And I'm not being heartless, but so often we spend days, weeks, months, and even years fighting the difficult places in the will of God for our life when we should just accept it that we might keep the course and finish the will of God for our life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego simply say whether God delivers us or whether he doesn't, it's not going to change what we're going to do. We ought to have a resolve that we're going to be content with the will of God, whether it's good news, bad news, whether it's a clean bill of health or a diagnosis of cancer. We're just going to accept the will of God. Why? Because I want to end the story, verse 25, that reveals Christ. Job, we see this in chapter 13, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, chapter 2. Job says this. Job told his wife, it rains on the just and the unjust. Job says, the Lord gave. Notice who Job's attributing the allotment to. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. He says, hey, this is part of our lot. It's not a comfortable lot. I don't like this lot, but this is part of our lot. And Job did not waver. In Old oh, chapter 42, did Job get to the end of the story. Why? He was content with his lot. Real quickly, we see this in Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays to his father to let this cup pass from him, the cup of the moment of what he was going through. But what did he say? He said something that really goes along with the first three words of verse 18. Jesus says, nevertheless, nevertheless, that's the same thing as saying, but if not, not my will, but thine be done. Christ knew what he was there to do and He embraced the cross. He became obedient unto death, even the death of his cross. Why? He was fulfilling his Father's will. Fulfilling his Father's will. He was content with his lot. Oftentimes, we just will not accept the will of God. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I want to help you. I really do. Oftentimes, we use the word why as a stall tactic. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking why because sometimes we go through adversity because we have gotten out of the will of God. So asking why sometimes is a good question. Look, you come through adversity, Make sure you're, number one, make sure you say Number two, make sure you're in the will of God because God may be chastising you because, yes, he does that every son that he loves, the Bible says. You come through adversity and you realize, okay, I'm saved, I'm in the will of God, I'm going through this difficult time, and we will spend years asking why. And it's just a stall tactic because we don't want to go through that difficult time and we're not getting any closer to the outcome of verse 25 of a life that reveals Christ. I'll give you this before I give you the last point tonight. You know what our church needs and what the church in America needs today? They need some verse number 18. We need some but if not believers. But if not God, I, I hope that I don't have to go. Th- I mean, do you know just today we had people taken to the hospital by ambulance by falling and Miss Lynn hurting her hip, maybe breaking her hip. We had folks in car accidents today. We had folks diagnosed with the virus today. I mean, on and on and on and on. Difficulty, difficulty, difficulty. What if your standard of contentment is everything going right? I hate to tell you, you're never going to make it to the outcome. Your life and your story will never reveal Christ. Why? Because you refuse to accept the difficulty that comes along. It's going to come. Why don't we have some but-if-not believers? God, I hope I don't get in a wreck tomorrow, but if not, I'm still going to serve you. God, I hope I don't get diagnosed with the virus tomorrow, but if not, I'm still going to serve you. God, I hope that I don't have a family member die tomorrow, but if not, I'm still going to serve you regardless of my circumstances. I'm going to be content with your allotment of your will for my life because I desire to reach the outcome of a life that reveals Christ. In the end, that's all that's going to matter to us, that our life revealed Christ. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what an example. They just, man, they stuck with the stuff. They had spiritual stick them, and they made it to the end. Now, the last thing I want you to see is the most difficult part. Contentment doesn't come easy, and contentment does not come quickly. That's why Paul says that he's learned to be content. It's like taking out the garbage. It's not something I want to do naturally, But I'm learning how to do that. I'm even remembering that it's on Tuesday. I expect my wife to have a gold star on the refrigerator probably in the next couple of weeks for my dedication to that service. But I'll tell you this, accepting what's undesirable and enduring the things that are uncomfortable are going to have to be learned, and it's going to take time. It's going to take time. Therefore, what's required for us tonight to be content that we might reach the outcome to reveal Christ is commitment. Number three, the obedience is commitment. Look down to chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. By the way, sooner or later you're going to have to answer the world. You're going to have to decide whether you're going to comply or not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know what they're doing? The king is doing this. The king is throwing down the gauntlet of a fiery furnace. Imagine walking the will of God, the road of the will of God for your life, and there's a fiery furnace. I don't think you want to turn around real quick. You're talking about, ooh, wrong road. The king says, I'm going to give you a chance. You boys, surely you're, you're misunderstanding. You're not getting this. You just veer off. You know, why, why don't you just turn around? But they said in verse 16, we're not careful. You know what that means? We are committed. Having the outcome of a life that reveals Christ, having a testimony that reveals Christ is not going to come easy. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And you must be committed to be content to a life that's going to have an outcome that ultimately reveals Christ. There's no pill for that. You know, We live in a society that gives you a pill for everything. I'm looking for the pill that grows hair, Brother Brent. I'm just being honest with you. You come up with that. You got a winner with me. I'll, I'll, I'll trade in something for that to get a pill that would grow hair. But there's no pill for that. And there's no pill for you to be content. You're going to have to be committed in order to find contentment. And learning to be content is something that's going to take time in your life. That's why I shouted at me a second of a day ago. They had to keep answering. We said no. We said no. We said no. What are they doing? They're committed. They're content. We're going to walk this road, and they just kept answering and answering. We're going to have to do the same thing. This is where the verse we love to quote comes into play. Romans 8, 28. Turn there with me real quick. Romans eight twenty eight. You know it well. You probably got it on your refrigerator, maybe a painting on your wall, but I want to show you something in Romans 8, verse number 28. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that, are, them that love God, To them who are the called according to his purpose. Watch verse 29. Keep reading. Context is very important. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now notice what the Bible says in verse number 28. All things work together. There's some contingencies placed in there. You need to read the rest of the verse when we quote it. We won't get into that tonight. But he says all things work together. All right? It's like a Lego thing. My, my daughter loves Legos and putting together Legos, and she got some of these micro Legos the other day. They're so small, I can't hardly see them. I can't imagine what kind of booby traps. Those are going to be walking through the living room at night because those are the best booby traps in the world, Legos on your floor. But she starts off, it's kind of a mess, and you don't see how it's going to work out, and after a while, she keeps putting each piece in each place, and after a while, there's this beautiful structure of a tree house or whatever it was that she was building. What was happening? It was all coming together for something in the end, but it took time. She had to be committed to that. romans eight twenty eight and eight twenty nine show us that all things will work together for good, but it's an ongoing process that you've got to be committed. And at the end of the process, what did the bible tell us of verse twenty nine For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? That after a while, even the cancer diagnosis and the heartache and the difficult times and the good times and the blessings, they all work together, that in the end, our life reveals Christ. It's conformed to the image of his son. Do you know Christ went through difficult times? And people watch you go through difficult times. Here's what they do. They play that matching game. You know the game we used to play with cards? Not Not the bad cards, but you know the cards, and you match them together. Well, people know what Christ did. It's fairly known. Even heathen know about Christ. They've at least seen the movie. They watch what he went through and how he handled it, and they're watching you, how you handle it, and they're slowly going like this. You know what they say? Some of you are talking to your TV right now. I hope you are because I hope you've been paying attention. They say, "Lo, I see. I see. They match. They notice how you went through difficult times is the way Christ went through difficult times. And now Christ is being revealed in your life. Look, if God blesses your life, then hey, point to Christ through your blessings. If you go through a difficult time, point to Christ through the difficult times. Show them how he got you through that. But you'll not do that without commitment. So Romans 12, we could could turn there or not for the sake of time. The Bible says to be not conformed to this world. Why? Because the more you're conformed to this world, you're not being conformed to Christ. The Bible says not to be conformed, but transformed. That's a process. I think we've all seen the show or had the toys as a kid. Whether you admit it or not, transformation, those transformers. There's a lot of steps to get the guy to become the truck and the truck to become the guy. It's a process. If you'll be committed to it, after a while it begins to come into view. I'll give you this real quick. I believe it's sad that too often... We bail out during adversity on the will of God, and we miss out on another opportunity to become more like Christ, that our life would reveal Christ. You see, every time you take the devil's exits on the highway, of the will of God for your life, you take the devil's ex- exits because there's dark clouds down that road, you're missing out on an opportunity. This is why I hope the Holy Spirit has made it clearer than I have that during the last three months, what an opportunity. What an extraordinary opportunity of adversity. It's an extraordinary opportunity to become more like Christ. And oh, 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 I just really hope that you have not wasted the last three months sitting on your laurels waiting for this all to be over so that you get back to becoming more like Christ because you've probably missed 20 years of opportunity in just the condensed amount of time that we've had in this difficulty. So, what are we getting at tonight? Simply this there's an outcome. The outcome is, verse 25, that when people look at our story, at the end of our story, good times or bad, they see Christ revealed. They said, lo, I see, lo, I see. But sometimes you're going to have to go through adversity to reveal Christ in your life. The obstacle that we had to get over was contentment, accepting our lot, whatever it is, as long as God is the one doing the allotment. And then we get to the, finally the obedience, the obedi- obedience is commitment. You've got to stick this thing out. Got too many spiritual wimps. I'm being honest with you. Do you know, Brother Michael, used to, our camp cabins uh, had attic fans and not air conditioning. We didn't have air conditioning, but then quit, kids quit coming because if something happened there in the late 90s, early 2000s. Kids started getting soft. They had to have air conditioning and, you know, mani Petties and all that stuff there, and night before they go to bed. And all, even, I'm talking about the guys, I'm talking about the girls, that's about the guys. They just started getting soft. And we've done that spiritually. We have no commitment, no stickum to accept the will of God because sometimes that just might be difficult. Here's what we do. We peel out. Nope, I'm not going to continue that road because that road is difficult. And what do we do? We do exactly what David did. When David left the will of God with Bathsheba, we give the enemies of God great opportunity to blaspheme. So rather than point to Christ and reveal Christ, you know what we do? Every time you step out, you conceal Christ. Rather than reveal Christ through going through adversity, you conceal Christ by taking the easy way out. I think tonight we ought to follow the example of the Apostle Paul and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You get to the place where we have resolved that to live is Christ. What I say and what I do and where I go and how I act and the way that I talk and the way that I dress and the way that I live, it's going to reveal Christ. It's all going in the same direction. It's not going to be about me. I don't want you to see me or my life or my wants. I want to reveal Christ. And all how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did that. But ultimately, ultimately a life that reaches the outcome of one where your story reveals Christ will begin. Remember, we've been backtracking from outcome to obstacle to obedience. It begins with commitment. I'm committed. So I can't see around the curve. Does it matter? You know, when you got married, you didn't say, you know what? I say I do as long as she, no, you said for better, for worse, richer, for poorer. Sometimes it's usually worse and sometimes you're usually poorer. but you were committed regardless of what was around the curve. That's commitment. If we just had a commitment tonight, that we're going to do the will of God, no matter what it is, no matter who makes mad, no matter how bad it makes me feel, I'm just going to do the will of God. I'm going to be committed to be content with what God allots for me that my life would reveal Christ. I had a family at our church. We started by U Baptist Church back in 2014. I had a family come join us to help us build. And what a blessing it was to have partners in the ministry. I told them when they first came, I said, guys, I want you to know something. This is not going to be easy. Uh, starting a new church, you don't have all the bells and whistles. You're not going to attract the, you know, the low-hanging fruit. You've got to have some pizzazz to get people nowadays. And we didn't have much pizzazz then, especially I was their pastor. They didn't have any pizzazz. And I said, it's going to be rough. And look, you better pray about coming here. I said, because you know, it's going it's, it's to be work. And they said, no, this is where God wants us. I said, look, it's going to be hard. And sometimes I'm not going to, listen, I'm just going to have a bad day. And the message is going to fall flat. And some people are going to get mad. It's just going to be difficult. And they told, us, they told me this. It says, listen, you can't run us off if you wanted to because this is the will of God of where we be. And Oh, my goodness. They're still there, by the way. They're still there, faithful. You couldn't run them off from the will of God. You just couldn't run them off. I mean, let me tell you, you know, look, you've been around me for a year. I can preach some duds sometimes. None of my duds run them off. You know why? Because they were committed to be content with the will of God because they wanted at the end of their story to reveal Christ know how Christ has been revealed in their witness. Can I ask you something tonight? Are you committed? All right, what would it take to run you off? What would it take to run you off? Evidently not a bad sermon because I would have already run you off. Somebody get mad at you. Is that what it's going to take to run you off? Difficult time, low crowds when we come back. What is it going to take to run you off? Because that's what you're going to have to overcome to be committed, to be content, to reveal Christ. So our heads bow tonight and eyes closed. We're